one. Welcome back, guys. This is another episode with your co-host, Andrew Luhar and Lisette Escobar. Welcome back to Hash It Out. We have a great guest speaker today. Her name's Alondra. She's just a new, brand new student in the Accelerator program. And can you tell us about yourself, Alondra? Hey, guys. So, yeah. So, my name is Alondra, and I am part of the Advanced Dining Program at USC. I'm actually a first-generation college student, so I'm the first one in my family to graduate. Incredible. Um, Yeah. Um, I'm the youngest of three, so I have an older brother and older sister, and I have both my parents and two younger nephews. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, and congrats on being the first-generation student, the first of your family. And um, I know that you're going to do great things. I just see it. I do want to throw out this little small story. I met Alondra the first day of classes for summer, and it's her first day at USC. And um, we immediately clicked. I saw something very special in her, and I just felt like I needed to go after that and just talk to her. And I did that, and I got to hear her amazing story. She's she's a story of resilience, of strength, and of hope and justice. And I was very, very pleased that she said yes to coming on to this podcast with us. So thank you so much for that. I, I'm excited to get to know you more, but I'm excited for people to hear your story. So I do want you to shed some light on some of the struggles that you've gone through. Okay, definitely. So I'll be taking it back to high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, well, I'll take it further than that. Um, I come from a household where... Um, my mom was a teen mom, and so was my older sister. So I became an aunt at the age of seven. Oh, wow. And mm. so um, the struggles that led with my sister's, um, you know, teenage pregnancy and whatnot, soon mm. after that, she became a drug addict. Mm. Oh, man. So she got addicted to crystal methamphetamine. Um, and we were dealing with that as a family um, throughout my entire high school career. We were dealing with a lot of the issues that came up with her uh, addiction which were really tough and it really um I I kind of got the worst end of it as well as my um older nephew you know because we kind of suffered as having her you know the way that she was she wasn't a great mom you know so I saw my older nephew kind of suffer a lot with that and then having her as a sister she was never really a sister to me you know so I was stuck kind of taking care of her kids mm-hmm. you know in a way while I was a high school student and basically what ended up happening was my senior year of high school, um, you know, after an incident with my younger nephew, um, she went to the doctors um, because she thought that my nephew swallowed a drug. And but he didn't. Um, but since she had confessed that to the doctors, a social worker showed up to our life soon after. Mm. So um, with that being said, Mr. you know, how to recover you know, she had to get herself clean in order for her to keep her kids, you know, so she did. And while she was going through therapy and all these things, all these childhood memories started popping up. And one of these memories that she remembered was that my godfather had touched her mm-hmm. um, when she was a little girl. And um, she had shared that with my mom, but she was kind of more like hesitant in a way where like, I don't know if it's true because of all the drugs that she did, you know, so she kind of told my mom not to say anything. But as my mom being mom you know she kind of got worried so she finally the next day she had asked me like you know she had she had asked me Miha, like have you ever been touched and my mom has always asked me that growing up right but she never got specific about it and I had asked her why like why are you asking me 
you know, and then because she had asked me, like, I'm not going to share his name here out of respect, but she had asked me if my godfather had touched me. Right. And so then I had asked her, like, oh, like, why are you asking me that? And I had always told myself that if I found out that he had touched anybody else or like sexually abused anyone else that I would come up and speak up. Right. So she told me basically what happened with my sister and I just started crying and I wasn't shocked, you know, like. I was just like, wow. So then I confessed to my mom that that day that, you know, I was also a victim of it, you know, and it was a Sunday. I remember everything like if it was yesterday, I was a senior in high school. It was October 20th, 2013. And um, wow. it was like, you know, one of the hardest things that I had to do. But, um, you know, I came out with it um, the next day, October 21st. I went to school, like nothing happened. But after school, um, I came to the car and I found out that my sister went to go report it to the to the to the police station. But because her story's so old, um, the police officers couldn't do much with her story and they said that they would have to bring me in to share my story. Mm. So next thing you know, we're driving mm. to the Southgate police station and I spent the like the next six hours being interrogated by two detectives mm. and where I'm sharing my story. And later on that same day, um, they arrested my godfather. And that's when the process began of my story being out. You know, I had no control over wanting to um, tell my story to the police officers as I was just told what to do because my mom and my sister wanted to do it. But everything else that came after that, it was all in my control, Mm -hmm. you know. So, So, yeah, so that's the process that started. It started with my sister you know, and her drug addiction and her um, getting, having to recover and stuff. But then yeah. it's kind of like the snowball effect. You know, we were dealing with that. We were dealing with the social workers coming in and then bam, all these other things started happening. Mm-hmm. So my life as a senior in high school, I was supposed to have like, the, in my thought, I was like, this is going to be the best year for me. Right. And it just completely went crashing down. Like it, I don't even know like how I survived it, you know, honestly, but I'm here today, you know, and so soon after that um you know they had asked us if we wanted to fight for justice my sister was kind of already like i don't really want to fight you know but i was kind of like because a lot of other things came out as soon as um our story came out and i just knew that i wanted to fight for justice so i was the one that said yes like let's take this to court because originally um my godfather only wanted to fight for um he only he wanted to settle for 24 years mm. and i'm like 24 years for what 24 years you're going to get out in good time like if, you, if you're in good behavior you're going to get out in no time mm-hmm. so yeah. you know they asked me if i wanted to go to trial and i said hell yeah i want to go to trial because he, what he did to my sister i'm not going to say it wasn't severe because you know everyone experiences things differently you know he had only like touched her t- for two years whatnot did his thing mm. you know um just to make this clear um my godfather is the husband of my mother's sister. Mm. So he wasn't, you know, related to us by family, but he was related to us because he married my, my mom's sister, right? Mm. So they got married like in 95. My sister was already eight years old. I wasn't born until 96. Mm-hmm. So he had like done his thing with my sister, but as soon as I was born, he did far way worse stuff to me and for about over a decade. Oh my wow. God. Yes. So my abuse was literally between the ages of three all the way to 13 years old. And this man was in my life like a second father figure. Mm. So 
he was my godfather, but he, he literally was like a second father figure in my life. So yeah, so it was really messed up. And um, I was extremely close to my godmother. Like she was like the one person that I went to for everything growing up. And they had a son who was a year younger than me, who we were inseparable. So you can kind of see the division, you know, the picture, yeah, you know, and whatnot. But it was, yeah, I decided to fight for justice. And then at the end of my first year at Cal State LA, I was 18 years old. During finals week, I went in to fight for justice. You know, I went in in front of a judge, a jury, my attorneys, my rapist. Mm. Um, you know, my mom and my boyfriend were there at the time. It was actually um, me and my boyfriend were celebrating our eight months together that day. But we had to go into court, you know, to, you know, share my story and fight for justice. And, um, yeah, um, the next day they found him guilty. And in July, uh, July 22nd, 2015, they sentenced him to 105 years to life. Wow. wow. That's... How does that make you feel standing in a courtroom and all that just jurors and that must be intimidating? It was. It was. It was scary, you know, and especially seeing my rapist there, you mm-hmm. know, like. I saw him there, you know, and I even had to point him out, you know, when the judge asked me, like, can you please, you know, point out who your rapist was and whatnot. But um, I wasn't thinking, wow. I wasn't thinking about the intimidation or the, or like, you know, other people being there. I was just thinking about fighting for justice mm-hmm. and, you know, getting, getting back something for me and for the other people that he hurt, because I wasn't the only one that he hurt in the family. There's other victims that came out after um, my story came out, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of other people from his other family or other places that probably were victims as well. Mm-hmm. But obviously I can't speak for them because we don't a hundred percent know. Right. But I just knew I had to fight. The thing that, re- re- that really motivated me was like, I'm saving other little girls from this monster, you know, that are in the family. Right. Because he started with my sister and then I was born. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, um, I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit. The reason why was all of this happened was because um, I grew up being babysat by my grandma, mm-hmm. which is my mom's mom, and they lived in the back mm-hmm. house of my grandma's house. So on the same property, mm-hmm. they lived in that back house, and that's where most of the abuse happened. So mm-hmm. I spent almost every day of my childhood with my grandma because we would go to the elementary school that was by her house mm-hmm. in Southgate. And so when he was there, especially in the summer, that's where a lot of the abuse happened, you know. So and then also there's a bunch of other of my younger cousins that were also getting babysat. So, you know, there's access to children. Once I started going to Downey to a middle school in Downey and I was no longer getting babysat to my um, by my grandma, he did go to a younger cousin of mine and started doing some stuff to her. But it was like, again, it was nothing as crazy as to what happened to me because one thing I definitely do want to share with you guys here is the bond that my godfather and I had because a lot of people didn't believe that it happened because of the way that my godfather treated me. Mm. You know, my godfather was very obsessive with me and he was in love with me in a way where he even told me when I was nine years old that he wanted to marry me when I was older. Wow. Oh and that was one of the things that happened in the, that was one of the things that he got um, as a count for when he was, when he got arrested. Cause you know how you get counts for the things that you do the crimes that you do 
So one of the counts was that he had confessed and the when the cops, you know, um brought him in that he was in love with me. You know. Oh my god. Um so yeah, but uh, outside of that, another thing that I want to mention is that like like I said like he was like a very father figure to me, so he treated me like a princess. He would tell me he loved me. He never it was never nothing like if you tell someone, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to hurt you. It was nothing like that. And that's why it's so hard for people to believe that it happened because they're like, but if you saw them growing up, you would never suspect something. And that's why for me, like, it's so important to talk about that bond because people get so easily fooled. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, nah, it, it, it didn't happen because they're so close. Or look at the way he treats her. You know, he was there through everything, through my whole entire adolescence from, I mean, from the day that I was born all the way to my 17th year, because that's when it came out, right? So you can you can imagine that you know anytime that I got a cut or I fell down he was there to pick me up. Mm. So anytime you know and then plus also bringing back the bond that I had with his son. Me and his son were literally inseparable, so we were always together. So he was always in my life, you know. So yeah. that also kind of made it hard for people to believe. Yeah, it didn't happen. Mm. And that's that's the thing though. You know, it's so good that you're bringing all of this up because it's a form of manipulation. Mm-hmm. It's a form of having a hold on somebody else by treating them well, treating and showing them the love that, you know, somebody's probably not receiving or receiving excessive love, right? Mm-hmm. And attention. And um, it's really sad to hear all of that. I'm so sorry that you went through so much, like even at a young age, at three, oh my God, you were robbed of childhood. your childhood. Yes. Innocence. And um, I'm glad that you stood up. I'm glad that you decided to fight for, for other people, for yourself, but for, for, I think overall, for the younger you, yeah, for the child, you know, your childhood, exactly. for um, Alondra, Alondra um, in her, th- what, age three to 10, I'm glad you stood up, age three to 13, right? I'm yes. glad you stood up for that. And I'm so glad that I ran into you because you have an amazing story with so many good, you have so many good qualities and you have this energy that's so inviting, but yet you've gone through so much pain. Yeah. You've gone through so much. And I think that's the thing that we find in people that go through so many difficult situations. You find that inviting energy. But overall, I'm so proud of you for pushing forward for pushing forward and that social worker that stepped into your life might have been a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. and um i do want to speak on the part where you said um the whole manipulating thing and stuff and that's why i brought up the whole thing with my sister my sister was a drug addict right for most of my life my parents were so occupied with her drug addiction and her kids that it was so easy for me to fall into the cracks of leaning on my godparents for everything and i feel like he used that as a way of mm. you know doing a lot of the things that he did you Power know control. yeah like he knew that like his he knew his wife which was my mom's sister my godmother meant everything to me right and that I leaned on her for everything and their kid was like my best friend right and he, I feel like he kind of used a lot of my vulnerability during that time in my life to make me feel special you know to make me feel like love and whatnot but obviously he was doing a lot of stuff that he was doing to me you know, so it was just a very confusing time um, for me. And I honestly was never going to speak up about it. I told myself I never wanted to because I wanted to save the heartbreak for everybody. But it was eating me up alive. When I was going to um, um, when I was entering my senior year, I was already so fed up with it because he was very like 
he acted like a jealous boyfriend. Like, even though he had stopped the sexual abuse when I turned 13, he was still in my life and he was still very controlling, like, to the point where, like, if I had guy friends, he would always be like, why are you hanging out with so many guy friends? And I'll be like, well, my dad's okay with that. Like, why are you acting like, you know, like, why are you tripping? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But it obviously, it's like, if you if you look at the bigger picture and, um, you know, when he had told me that he was in love, like, he loved me in that way when I was, like, nine years old and he wanted to marry me, at first I thought I was, like, I... I I didn't hear it right. I'm like, did he really say that to me? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like in my mind going crazy until I read my case because let me tell you guys something. When it comes to trial, you cannot go into trial and see everything that happens if you're a witness. You can only go in when you when it's your time to go in, right? So I wasn't there to witness everything that happened in my trial. So I wasn't there to see the opening of it, what they had to say, what he said or whatever, you know? It wasn't until years later, which was back in 2018, when I found my trial online and I was able to read everything that actually went on. And I was able to read that where he had said that he was in love with me and that gave me closure because I thought that that was just something that 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 I just put in my mind. You know, like I thought I was going crazy. But when I read that, I'm like, you see, like it was true. You know, like he did like, you know, the the uh, the stream, the extremeness of all of this was true. You know, he was doing what he was doing to me, but it was also in the way that he like was very like in love with me to the point where like I thought that if I turned 18, he was going to do something to me, mm-hmm. you know, like take me away or something, you know. So it kind of like gave me like that closure to see that because I was going yeah. crazy because a lot of people made me feel like I was going crazy because. Um, when I, when everything came out, you can imagine that my extended family, I come from a big family, a big family that we, we have garnisadas on Sundays. We do all of that to all of us being separated because of this incident. Mm. So the past seven years since, you know, since this came out, things have been lonely. You know, my, I had to readjust to everything because my holidays are more lonelier than ever. Mm. You know, like I don't have that extended family anymore to spend holidays with a lot of my cousins left. A lot of people that I thought were going to be there for me because I was there for them, they're no longer here in my life because of this, you know? So I was going insane thinking like, you know, was it really to the extreme that it was? And when I read that, that he was in love with me, that he confessed that he was in love with me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I wasn't, it wasn't just in my head. Like it was real, you know, because people love to kind of just like make you feel like, no, you're lying. You're lying. Like that didn't happen. Right. And then you kind of, you know, if you let people kind of get to your head, you kind of start believing did this really happen. But um, yeah. all the childhood traumatic experiences that I lived through, the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety, the nightmares, all of that is proof that, yeah, I'm not I'm not lying about this. You mm-hmm. know, like this seriously happened. And obviously, the one thing that I've had to tell people too, my rapist wouldn't be serving a 105 year life sentence if it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. You know, like, come on. I was interrogated for six hours. You know, those six hours of my life weren't just like, oh, okay, just tell us what happened. And that's it. No, they interrogated me. And the way that um, detectives interrogate you, they even try to mess, um, like, mash up your words or kind of like, let's say you saw them like, oh, um, he did this to me on January 6th. They'll be like, oh, so um, on January 20th, he did what to you? You know, and so they'll try to see if you're lying, wow. right? And I was like, no, January 6th, like, you know, you have to really, because they, they try to, they try to figure out if you're lying or not, because a lot of people do lie about this stuff, 
you know, and when people lie about it, it makes it harder for the other people who aren't lying about it to speak up or to fight for justice or come up about it. Because a lot of people, when it comes to being sexually abused or raped or anything to do with sexual violence, the sad thing about this that I've, that I've had experienced and saw mm-hmm. within my journey is that the victim gets more crap than the rapist. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, they defend the rapist so much, like, no, he's a good guy or he's this, but the victim, she's a slut. What was she wearing? What was she doing? And I, in my head, I was even called a slut by some of my family members when I came out about it. And in my head, I was like, what was I wearing when I was three years old that made it that made it okay for him to to want to start raping me at that age? Of course, like why do why do people have to bring up what were we wearing? We can wear whatever we want. That doesn't give an invitation for us to be raped, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but it's just kind of like why do we have to keep justifying, you know, like our story? Like why do we have to keep fighting for it? But it's because society makes it think that no, it's her fault. Or no, no, the rapist is okay. Like he's 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 a good guy. Like why are you gonna do that to him? You know, like I was even told like by some people like why are you gonna go fight for justice? Isn't that enough already? Like don't you just like like why are you gonna do that? And then when I did do it and I won, those same people were like, oh, I'm so happy for you that you did that. So it's kind of like what? Like you know, there there's just a lot in in this journey. There's a lot of um, people who are gonna talk so much crap about you who are going to pretend to be there for you, who are going to, or, or they end up just being there for you at the end and they don't go through you. They don't go through the process with you. So I've noticed that um, some of my family members that went there for me during my undergrad, which, which was basically the aftermath of everything. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. had, I had severe mental health issues. Like I told you, like I went through depression. I went to, I went through PTSD. I was so paranoid. I, I literally, throughout my entire undergrad, I was dealing with insomnia. Mm. I even tried, um, in 2016, I even thought about killing myself. It got to that point, you know, Um, and so I didn't have much people, but once I graduated, and then once I got into USC, a lot of people started coming up again and being like, oh my God, congrats. And I'm not the type of person to be like, well, F you guys type of thing, right? But at the same time, I'm not also the person to forget that you weren't there during the time mm-hmm. that I that I was at my lowest. I know who was there and I know who wasn't, but I'm still going to be nice to people regardless because I'm not the person. I'm not going to stoop down to their level, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. That's one thing that I did learn within my healing journey is to forgive those, even though even though they cause harm to me. Um, well, first of all, let's let's talk about forgiveness. <laughs> Um, with my rapist I was able to forgive him even though he didn't apologize for anything that he did because to this day I'm pretty sure he's still thinking he's still going on with saying I didn't do anything right even though he's locked up it's very common for rapists to be like I didn't do anything I don't know why I'm here right he never apologized to me but I learned to forgive him Mm -hmm. for the things that he did not for him necessarily but for me Mm-hmm. you know to give myself that yeah. peace within myself i'm not gonna live with hatred i'm not gonna live with hating him i don't hate him and like it's so weird because sometimes i come across people who tell me like you don't you don't hate him or why do you why do you speak about him a certain way i'm like well why do i have to hate him just because he put me through through so much mm-hmm. you know i i don't need to hate him you know i just i'm I just not gonna have yeah. a connection with him ever again but i'm not also gonna talk crap about him because despite the fact that he abused me for so long, he was also a father figure in my life, you know? So I have a lot of good Mm. memories with him too, 
you know, which is which is all messed up because it's all, you know, it's like, you know, going back to the thing with um, how people say, like, you're most likely going to get, um, you know, abused by strangers, right? Majority of the of predators are in your family. <laughs> you know, it's not by outside people, right? So it makes it even harder, you know, to come out with it or to, yeah. to kind of, you know, feel a certain way because you have so many memories with these people. I have 17 years of my life of memories with this man who abused me for 10 out of those 17 years. Mm. You know, a wow. lot of these memories involve trips to Disneyland, Chuck E. Cheese. They involve trips um, to um, parts of California, you know, parties, dancing, all that stuff. There's a lot of good memories. You know, it's not just all bad. So that's why it's important for me to tell people like, yeah, he did that ugly thing to me. And it does hurt, and I do suffer from it to the to this day, you know. But at the same time, I'm not also gonna have that hatred in my heart for him, mm-hmm. or for my godmother for picking yeah. this side. My godmother chose this side. I haven't spoken to my godmother since everything came out, and she was like my best friend, mm-hmm. you know. I haven't spoken to a lot of people from my family since everything came out, but I have no hate for none of them, you know. I've learned I've learned in this process that when you have no expectations it's better that way you know because you have to understand that you can't rely on other people to be there for you right you know or because you were there for them that they need to be there for you no at the end of the day honestly there's gonna be a lot of people that even when you did so much for them they're not gonna be there for you and you have to be okay with that if you keep going around thinking that um people need to be there for you and all that you're never gonna be happy Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna always be let down and you're just you're just going to always be in a certain way. And at first, I was like that. At first, I was just kind of like, wow, like my cousins left my side who I was always there for. And it did hurt me. Like, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like, I cried, you know. And because I come from a big family to now just kind of depending on myself and my parents, basically just the yeah. people I live with at home, mm-hmm. you know. It was it was a very hard adjustment because I was I was basically the kid in my family that everybody, like, got along with. You know, um, my cousins, I got along with all my cousins, my aunts and my uncles and my and my grandma and my godmother. They thought very highly yeah. of me to becoming so loved and liked to basically being the outsider mm-hmm. because I spoke up. That hurt, you know, but I've learned through the through the past five, six years that, you know, I, I've learned to appreciate what I do have, which are my parents, my siblings mm-hmm. and my nephew my boyfriend, my best friends. Like I've learned to be okay with the things I do have and just learn to to not have expectations of other people, you know, of, of like, well, that person's not there for me. Well, then F them. No, I don't think that way no more. Mm-hmm. Like, people have their own lives. People have their own things to do. That is just kind of like, I'm not going to have that expectation of them to kind of be there for me. But it's just funny to me that they tend to come back when something good is happening in my life. And one of the good things that happened recently was that I got into USC. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that yeah. went there for me were like, oh, my God, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. And it was just kind of weird for me because I was just kind of like, I said, you know, I was like, thank you so much. And I was, you know, I, was, I wasn't in a way like I was trying to be shady or anything. But it was just weird because I'm like, where were you guys the past five years? the past six years you guys weren't nowhere to be found you guys actually treated me like crap Mm. you know yeah i do want to say something though you you mentioned people you know stepping aside from you when things got bad right and 
the only people that you saw was the unity of your mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as that was as much pain, as much as it was painful, I think it was something that you needed to go mm-hmm. through so that you could also find that growth and you could see the differences in people too. And um, I really think that your story is a story of, of pain, adversity, of struggles, of overcoming obstacles, but overall of finding yourself, finding your voice, using your voice. I think you always had your voice, but mm-hmm. using it. And um, seeing the positive people around you too, right? Your your family, your family's there. Like you're, you're basically like mm-hmm. a home pack. Right, because they they never they never run away from each other. They're always backing each other up. Your mom stepping up to the plate and saying, "Hell no, nobody's gonna take advantage of my mm-hmm. daughters like that." Let's go file this, right? Your sister opening mm-hmm. up about it, and you at first not having a choice to do it, but after that saying, "Nah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go in there and get my justice." Yeah. And um, I think you continue that. Congratulations on getting into USC. I think you're doing an awesome job. I mean, I have you for one of my classes and you're amazing. And I think that I think that this is your path. It's it's your path for a reason. And you just stepped into this MSW program and you've already started shining your light on people. You've you were shining it on me. And I think that you you have so much to give, so much to offer, and your experiences as difficult as they were, have only made you a stronger person. But I'm so, so proud of you for standing up for yourself. You know, And, um, you know, you keep your side of the street clean. I think that's one of the things you mentioned, right? You mentioned, I'm not going to go out and be, like, foul with people. I'm not going to be mean to them or, or disrespect them in any way. But I'm going to keep my side of the mm-hmm. street clean, right? And treating them equally, treating them fairly, even though they didn't do mm-hmm. that for me. But I've learned to keep things to yes. myself now instead of expecting others to be there. And I think I think you're rocking it at everything that you're doing. I think you're very advanced in the way that you're thinking with everything. I mean, I'm still working towards <laughs> yeah. getting there, you know? <laughs> I do, I do want to say one thing, though, when it comes to my mom and my dad. Um, I want to thank them because... Um, I have other friends who have spoken up about their stories and their parents don't believe them or mm. they rather just keep it quiet, you know, mm. and my mom didn't do that. And I'm, I'm so glad she didn't. I'm so glad that she she let me, you know, do what I wanted to do with my own story. And even now, like with me being open, she doesn't tell me, hey, like, you know, you shouldn't be open with it in poetry because I, I want to write a memoir. You know, because I want to help every I want to help as many people as I can, especially in the Hispanic community, because within the Hispanic community, it's very like taboo to talk about this stuff Mm -hmm. or keep it quiet. Like, don't let people know your problems. But that's how abuse happens. Right. Or that's how you end up keeping the abuser, you know, like you're you're keeping them safe, but you're also letting them continue doing their their abuse to other people, you know. It's like enabling them a little bit. Yes, exactly. You're not doing anything for the victims by saying, you know, don't speak up yeah. about it. Keep it quiet. My parents didn't do that. They gave me the wings and I flew with it. And I'm flying with it right now. That's you beautiful. know, and, and like, I love that they're okay with it. Like, I'm even able to tell them like, oh, look what I did today. Or look what I wrote today. And they're not telling me, well, like, oh, okay. Or like, can you get over it? No. I'm, I was told to get over it by other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been told, get over it. 
why don't you let it go and move on? Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry. I made a promise to my 17-year-old self that I was never going to let anyone keep me silent again. Mm-hmm. So yes. I'm never yes. going to keep... Until the day that I die, I'm going to keep shining light because there's always going to be someone there who needs the help, you know, who needs that voice, you know, and if, I, if that's me, if I can be that voice for someone, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it without, you know, saying I'm sorry or I'm sorry if you're comfortable, but I'm going to keep doing me. <laughs> Right. You know, I'm very glad to hear that. And I'm smiling right now as you said all of that, because you are a fierce woman. And I don't think that you're going to the please, please don't ever stay silent. Please continue, continue. And I don't think that anybody's going to be able to put you down. You can continue moving forward, saying your story, fighting for people. But with that being said, we do want to know. I think, Andrew, I wasn't um, asked. You, uh, to... you talked about healing. A couple minutes ago, and uh, what does your healing healing journey look like today? My healing journey is it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, it's it's everywhere because healing doesn't have a time limit. Mm-hmm. True. You know, it's not it's not gonna have a deadline. Like you know, you can't just be like, okay, I'm gonna heal for two months or whatever, and that's it. No, it's a lifetime. You mm-hmm. know, you experience it because you have moments where you're completely fine and happy, and then you have moments where, let's say, you listen to a song or you watch a movie or an episode of some show, and it reminds you of what you used to have, or it reminds you of the past, and you start crying or stuff like that right so I tend to have my moments where I'm completely happy I'm around the people that I love you know I'm doing me I'm writing my poetry I'm sharing it out you know and then there's moments where I lay in bed and I'm crying or Mm -hmm. I have to drive around and I'm listening to a song and I'm crying you know and I I, one thing I want to say to anyone who's listening is that it's okay to cry you don't have to be tough you know it doesn't matter if it happened years ago. It's okay to cry about things that hurt you. It's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in today's society, people see crying as a weakness. And I used to think that way too. But I, I cry all the time now, you know. And I cry and I'm and I'm proud of it because afterwards I feel so much better. So you true, know? so true. Crying is so good. It just releases all the on words that you can't speak about. And it's just you're not suppressing the emotions. And crying is definitely good. <laughs> Not only that, I think you mentioned, you know, writing your memoir. I can't wait to read it. I know that you're going to get this completed. And poetry, I'm loving it. I I think that's the best way to begin this healing journey. And you're right. Don't be so hard on yourself for crying. Like, be gentle with yourself. Give yourself some space to breathe, to cry, to shout, whatever you need to do. And I think that you mentioned some things, too, like, watching a movie or, or listening to music sometimes mm-hmm. triggers it right but it's interesting because we go through these emotions but the more and more that we get comfortable in it the easier yes. it becomes you know and like when i want to when i talk about um a song or a movie it's more in sense of it brings back the memories of like that i had with my cousin which was the son of my rapist mm-hmm. or my godmother that mm-hmm. i don't have in my life anymore mm-hmm. and my godmother and my cousin were my entire rock during my adolescence especially when my sister was on drugs so when I listen to a certain song or I see a certain movie that we used to watch together, it just makes me sad, you know, that I don't have them anymore. But I've come to peace with everything. You know, I've come to peace that my godmother chose my godfather's side because at the end of the day, regardless of what he did, that's her husband. I'm not trying to say that as an excuse, you know, for it, but people choose who they want and you have to be kind of okay with that. It's kind of like the whole thing of the expectation thing. When you have expectations, you're going to be let down. You know, when people aren't going to show up for you, 
you have to show up for yourself. True. You know, and you have to be okay with other people not being there. You know. I love that. I love that you said that. So with that, with with that message, though, I do want to ask: How have you? How were you able to forgive those who hurt you? Because you you you're still talking about mm-hmm. being hurt right now, but being able to look at it from a different yeah. perspective, right? But in what ways have you been able to to? Um, I think that? the best thing that I can say with that is because I never got an apology from anybody, mm-hmm. but I've just learned to um, mm. to. I've I've learned a lot in the social work program. I learned a lot within why people do the the things that they do. And I've come to understand the human behavior. And I think that has helped me with understanding a lot of things, why people did the the things that they did. And that brought peace within me, you know? So kind of like with kind of saying with my rapist, I'm not trying to excuse his behavior, but maybe he went through some stuff that caused him to be the way he was. And he never got help for it. And which is why, it ended up being where it ended up going, you know? And so I'm not trying to justify anything, you know, that he did, but I've just learned a lot in the social work program that a lot of the things that we go through as kids, if we don't get help, it creeps up into our adulthoods, Mm -hmm. you know? And so with that being said, like I said, I've never gotten apologize. I've never gotten uh, an apology apology from anybody. But I've learned to just, yeah. why am I going to keep that hatred? Why am I going to keep that that pain? Like, I've learned to just be okay, let it go. Like, let that let that go and just kind of move on with my life and do me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to hold it against people because at the end, no one's perfect. Everyone has their own things. Everyone has their own ways. And the only thing that, I, that, that matters to me now is just educating people on coming out and also educating people on how to be there for people like me, you know, because when we teach people how to be there for people who have experienced traumatic experiences, it literally, you know, brings everything together and it helps out. And we have less of the people who, who question like, Oh, like, what were you wearing? Or, or, you know, all those other questions that, you know, are kind of insensitive in a way towards victims. And instead of of being that you can question, how can I help you with this? You know, right. Yeah. Or, or instead of saying, that. why didn't you speak up about it earlier? You can just be like, thank you for telling me your story. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for being brave enough. So I feel like we have a lot to do. Uh, we have a lot of work to do within the population of instead of trying to make the victim feel worse about themselves to being saying, thank you. I'm here for you. You know, thank you for sharing. If you want to fight for justice, I'm here for you. If you don't want to fight for justice, that's OK, because not everyone wants to fight for justice in the court system. It's not easy. It's one of the most draining things to do. It was one of the most draining things that I had to do, but I'm glad that I did it for myself. But there's other people who are okay with not fighting for justice, and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for your transparency, for everything that you've been able to share with us, and you inspire me. I mean, you're a story of resilience and, you know, moving forward fighting for justice i think that's one of the main things that we talk about fight for justice right and how that's driven you into the Mm -hmm. profession of social work and um i really i really 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 believe that you're gonna do big things and i know it and um i i just want to encourage you to continue and continue sharing your story i want to read your memoir i want to i want to read your poetry i you know, I think that it's very important for people to see all of these outlets 
and this experience being told so that they can learn from it and they could also speak up when they see something or when they're going through something. Mm-hmm. But with that being yeah. said, I think my buddy Andrew. Thank you so much for thank you so much for sharing your story of resilience, hope, strength, and growth. I can't wait to read your memoir too. You have such an <laughs> incredible story, and just it's just mind blowing what you went through as a kid. And no man should do that to anybody or woman, vice versa. Yeah, yes. Um, but the, last but not least, um, what uh, tell us something that the listeners could learn from you today step out of your comfort zone Mm. and don't be afraid to speak up even if it even if it means you're going to lose people those people that you lose weren't really meant for you you know they Mm -hmm. weren't meant to be there you know so don't be afraid don't let that hold you back don't let people hold you back from speaking up and and sharing your story because if you do you know it's just gonna you're gonna feel horrible don't be a people pleaser you know, do things to make yourself happy. And if that means speaking up and fighting for justice or just, you know, writing poetry or doing whatever makes you happy, do it, you know. Love that. I love that you said that. And um, I totally agree. I totally agree. But thank you so much for everything. Thank you for your transparency once again. Thank you for all the beautiful words you put out there and your your painful story that talks about pain, adversity, um, strength, growth, transformation, and justice. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me here. And just one last thing I want to say that it's okay to cry again, and it's okay to uh, seek out professional help if one needs it. You know? Definitely. Thank you for that. I think think you're right on. I do want, I'm sorry if I interrupted you, but I do want you to share your Instagram if you're okay with that so that people can follow you. So my Instagram is AC underscore 1014 underscore. And I do share my stories on there and I do have poetry, you know, and I have talked a lot about my experiences. So you feel free to follow me. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you and so thank much. you for the listeners hashing out with us and listening to Alondra's amazing story. Uh, this wraps up our summer edition and uh, come back to you soon in, come oh, back yes. to you soon in August. <laughs> Definitely. Season finale. And remember to fight on. Fight on, you guys. Bye. Thank right. you. Have a good day. Thank you for hashing <laughs> it out.